0: So in the last five years, all of a sudden people have taken notice of it. And, and this is kind of like, you know, it's kind of like when you talk about to all of a sudden you hear a song by some artist and it's like number one and all this, and it's kind of like, where did she come from? (laughs) It's like, Oh yeah, she's been out for 20 years grinding it (laughs) out. That's where she came from, (laughs) you know? And and so this, this is kind of like the way it's worked with mushrooms and part of it too. Look um, now, instead of just one button mushroom in the supermarket, You've got choices of six or seven or eight Mm -hmm. different mushroom species if you're in the right area.
1: This is Lit and Lucid, your after-work de-stress smoke sesh podcast.
2: I'm your host, Lit.
1: And I'm your host, Lucid, and we're going to take you on a journey.
2: A journey to discover the truth and find the balance.
1: Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe.
2: But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture.
1: So kick back.
2: Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy Cozy in the the Lit
1: and Lucid Lucid lifestyle.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. You guys, we are in season 14 of the show. For all of you who have been hanging around with us for over three and a half years, we seriously couldn't have done it without you. With all of our listeners and our really amazing guests who have joined us all across the U.S. and in Canada, and we've covered so many different amazing topics. And today we are kicking off Season 14, Episode 140 with Jeff Chilton. He is the president of Namex, specializing in organic mushroom extracts. I'm sure some of you that probably perked up your ears are like, oh, I know Jeff. But maybe for others, you don't know Jeff. Uh, he is a very well known in the world of mushrooms having studied mycology at the University of Washington in the late 60s and then as the production matter, manager of a commercial mushroom farm in Olympia. He focused on R&D'ing shiitake, oyster and enoki mushrooms resulting in the very first fr- the very first shiitake sale in the US in 1978. You guys, Jeff has been at it for a very <laughs> long time. He has also co-offered the Mushroom Cultivator in 1983. And then in 1989, Jeff started Namex. Namex introduced medicinal mushrooms to the U.S. nutritional supplement industry, offering the first line of certified organic mushroom supplements to consumers. Having been in the business for over 30 years as an innovator in the industry, Namex is truly the gold standard of mushroom extractions in U.S., it's totally an honor to have Jeff on our show today to share his wealth of knowledge about mushrooms. So with that, welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here and talk to you. Likewise, you know, this is one that we've been looking forward to for a while and it really turned out well of, you know, you're the season opener. And so thank you again for for being on the show. And I think what we're going to talk about today is is a nice introduction to possibly kind of what's next for kind of the mainstream culture and and different things kind of happening. But You know, we know you've been studying mycology since the 60s, so tell us more about, you know, your journey into mushrooms and how this whole thing got started and maybe where kind of some of your interests cultivated from.
0: Well, I grew up in Seattle, which is a perfect climate for wild mushrooms. And that's because it rains a lot. (laughs) And so, so it's probably one of the best places in the world for wild mushrooms. So I was out early doing that. And then when I went to university in the late sixties, my, my field of study was anthropology. And part of that was because I, you know, the sixties was about counterculture. Mm -hmm. And, And so we were all very interested in how things were being done in other places in the world. So that was my field of study, but they have a mycology department at the University of Washington, so I also studied mycology. I put the two together, <laughs> and uh, which you could call it ethnomycology, which is uh, the use of mushrooms for food, for medicine, and in shamanic purposes, um, cultures worldwide. And, and look, mushrooms have been around and used for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, way back in prehistory. So it was really fascinating for me. And then, then when I left university, I was going, what, you know, and how can I get a job? And, and I thought I'd love to learn how to grow mushrooms. And and, and so, uh, you know, and look, during this time too, believe it or not, there was actually psilocybin mushrooms growing on the University of Washington oh campus. My gosh. Oh gosh. On my. the campus. <laughs>
1: Holy cow! <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and, and uh, um, around the city too, of Seattle, and 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 the '70s, we were discovering a lot of other wild ones. But but anyway, we had a mushroom farm, a commercial, large scale agaricus farm in Olympia, Washington. I went down, I got a job, I was there on that farm for the next ten years, literally living with mushrooms, and it was producing two. Million pounds of agaricus mushrooms per year. Oh my goodness! But we also had a Japanese scientist there, and he was he was growing oyster mushrooms, enoki mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms. I was eating fresh shiitake mushrooms in the 70s. <laughs> it was amazing, absolutely amazing. So uh, so I, I learned about growing other mushrooms at the same time that I was there, and also while I was there, that I just continued my study of mushrooms uh, as well as cultivation techniques, which, which ended up in the, the Mushroom Cultivator, which was a book that I uh, co-wrote and, and published in 1983, Practical Guide to Growing Mushrooms at Home. Um, look, you would have loved the 60s and the 70s. The 70s, we had all sorts of awesome, conferences, mushroom conferences, where we had speakers coming in to talk about uh, taxonomy, to talk about um, history of mushrooms. I was the person talking about cultivation of mushrooms. The fourth conference that the group that I was part of called Michael Media, our fourth conference, we had Terrence McKenna as our keynote. Uh, So it was just amazing. I mean, we had giants in the industry out there and in the mushroom world at our conferences. And it was just a real interesting time to be in, a, in this mushroom world. And so uh, that's kind of what really kicked off my career and allowed me to, to stay in the whole mushroom business and actually make a living that way.
2: That's interesting because I I, when I think of the sixties or the seventies, you know, I first go to you know psilocybin mushrooms, but it's interesting that there was like the whole world of you know regular functional mushrooms going on as well back then too.
0: There was, and and you know, really not. There was. There's a few people putting out mushroom kits then, like a shiitake kit or something like that in the seventies. But there wasn't a whole lot of that. But once the book was published in 1983, we had. I mean, it's a 400 page book. We had lots of instructions on not just how to grow like oyster mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms, and a whole bunch of edibles, but also how to grow psilocybin mushrooms. And, and, you know, the first guide for that was in 1976 wow. put out by the McKenna brothers. And it was uh, how to grow, you know, in your closet and, you know, jars full of grain, huh. uh, which is a, an interesting little technique for very small scale cultivation, which is really cool. But our book, when it came out, it just opened the door up to growing on, on larger scales or, or just, you know, really a lot of information on how to set up a, a small uh, biological lab for doing mushroom culture. You know, mushroom culture is so cool. You can find a, a mushroom and you can take it back in the lab and you take a piece of that mushroom and put it into a, a Petri plate and you've got a clone. <laughs> of that mushroom. So you're actually cloning mushrooms by doing tissue culture. All it takes is a small piece of tissue. Now you have to do that in reasonably sterile conditions, because there's all this competition for that, whatever you've put, you're putting it on like malt auger or something. So any bacteria or other fungus, um, yeasts can also get out of that Petri plate. And next thing you know, you're like, What the hell is that? (laughs) Yeah, It was funny because when I, when I was first learning how to do tissue culture with my mycology professor and I, I, you know, I didn't have a background in microbiology or anything. So he's helping me pour plates in his lab (laughs) and stuff like that. And and I'm going out and I'm, I'm getting these, uh, um, psilocybes, the wild psilocybes, these smaller things. I'm in there and I'm, I'm culturing them. And then I'm coming in every so often and, and seeing what they look like. And I just say, wow, what do you think of this growth here? And, <laughs> and, and you know, he, he'd look at it and go, well, that's actually a mold.
1: <laughs> You've grown some really nice mold yeah. there. So
0: uh, Yeah, it was very difficult for me. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that when you're doing tissue culture of a mushroom, if you got a, a very nice button mushroom, for example, you can break it open. You've got clean tissue, lots of it. If you're dealing with a smaller mushroom that has not much of a stem and a cap that's not very you know solid or anything, it is not easy to get a ple- clean piece of tissue out of that mushroom onto that plate. It, it's a, a chore. But that was just sort of the start of my tissue culturing before. Ultimately, I set up a a lab in my home uh, while I was working at the mushroom farm and really got it down and was able to culture all sorts of really cool mushrooms. And that's what we talked about in the book was all these different mushrooms, whether it was psilocybes or edibles and how to culture them out in your own little home lab and then how to grow them out on specific substrates, whether in grain, in jars, or whether on straw or some other type of material sawdust, but that was really a very fun time. You would have enjoyed it a lot. It, w- it was really <laughs> an awesome period.
2: That's amazing. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I know Jared kind of dabbled in just like trying to learn how to do any of that, and it's very complicated, and <laughs> the contaminants... They're
1: out there. <laughs> I even came from the biology side of it. So, you know, I've taken microbiology and I've taken, we even did, you know, an exercise in our microbiology class just to show when we're inoculating things, just how much germs are actually present and like how messy and terrible we actually all are. And <laughs> and so I, I failed multiple times when I was trying to grow and, you know, we were doing the jar tech and with grain and it's very difficult. I have to say, you know, a lot of respect to people who can cultivate mushrooms and do it on scale because it is, it's very tedious. It's very like... You got to have it down. You got to have a process, all that.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, you have to do. And, you know, people don't realize the fact that when we're outside, the air, which looks just pretty clean and all, is absolutely full of spores. And, you know, whether that be mold spores or bacteria or yeast, I mean, we're breathing in those things all the time. and, And that's. That's part of life. And that's how we're able, we have the immune system to defend against them because we, we have been breathing them in. We have been living in the soil as, as kids, we were out in the soil and playing in it all. And that was what was building our immune system. It's like, man, if you, if you didn't have that, if you lived in a bubble, you get out in that and you'd be dead in days. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
1: That is kind of like the funny thing about, you know, mushrooms and just understanding mushrooms is that they are a fungus and like most people's initial thoughts to like fungus is like bad, you know, they're bad, you know? And, um, at the same rate, they probably don't understand that the human body is made up of like a ton of bacteria. And so it's really yeah, just the microbiome. Exactly. Yeah, just like the yeah. nature is like nature is all of us and everything. So. Well, yeah. And microbiology is just
0: so interesting when you think of that world, which is shrunk way down and we don't normally notice it. It's, it's like, um, You're walking along down a path. You've been walking down this path for days. It's just your normal way to wherever you're going. And then one day you go, oh my God, look at that mushroom. And you think it came up overnight. No, it didn't actually come up overnight. It's been there for quite, you know, for the last couple of weeks, but it started off really small. You couldn't see it. Then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And you didn't really notice it until it reached that certain size. And then all of a sudden you're like, Ah, look. (laughs) And not only that, you don't see that mycelial network in the ground that it came from, which is sort of like, okay, we can look at an apple and we can say, oh yeah, it's growing off a tree. Right. And then it's got roots in the ground and feeding nutrients up to produce that apple. The mushroom, we don't normally know where it came from. Mm -hmm. And we just think, God, this is amazing this is magic and and you know back thousands of years ago they really looked at mushrooms as being like whoa, you know, <laughs> and, and there's all sorts of um, different stories about how mushrooms only came up where lightning struck, especially oh, the, wow. the psilocybe mushrooms. It was like, yeah, they they came up in places where lightning struck or in in the mountains of Mexico, they grow where uh, Christ's blood fell down onto the the land. And this is where the mushrooms come up. So they're very mysterious, In their own way. And the other side of it, too, is like, look, the other part of it is that mushrooms uh, and all of these um, different organized mushroom and we can call them whatever religion, cults you you call it, whatever. uh, But there's also the whole phallic element to a mushroom, too. And that when you're talking about, you know, ancient cultures as well. I mean, goodness gracious, that's pretty incredible, too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's so interesting. There's so many different areas to mushrooms, you know, that people yeah, really. don't even realize. I yeah. Mean, even Jared and I, we just started, you know, exploring the world of mushrooms like a year ago. Understanding, you know, that there's functional mushrooms and they have all these medicinal benefits, and we didn't even really know that. So, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what the benefits of some functional mushrooms are, and you know, why they might want to take them?
0: Sure, sure. And let me let me just start out by by talking a little bit about. What is a mushroom? Uh, okay, a mushroom is in fact a fungus. It's got uh, the the kingdom of fungi sits in between plants and animals. It's neither. It's got its own kingdom. Um, that kingdom is actually separated into divisions. One is uh, uh, imperfect fungi. The other is perfect fungi. Imperfect fungi are molds. Hmm. uh, we call them imperfect because they never put up a mushroom or what we might call a fruiting body. So, so um, then, then uh, what happens now is, is how do you grow mushrooms? They don't have seeds. (laughs) So what are we supposed to plant to grow a mushroom? (laughs) Well, okay. Mushrooms have spores. The spores go out there. They land on the ground. They land uh, on wood. When conditions are right, those spores will, germinate uh, into a very fine filament Uh, when multiple spores produce these filaments the filaments will come and fuse together they'll form a network we call that network mycelium the mycelium is is what's termed the vegetative body and, and that's what we normally don't see So so we're never seeing, you know, and you can almost look at the mycelium as a root structure, too, because what it's doing is it's down there. It's breaking down organic matter without mycelium and all the other critters out there, bugs and bacteria (laughs) and so on, breaking down all the organic matter. We would be swimming in it. Literally, (laughs) you know, something's got to break it down and repurpose it. So so we've got this mycelial network there and, and it is. Uh, consuming organic matter, building up reserves when conditions change. Uh, and in this case, like in the Northwest, we go from summer to fall. Now, all of a sudden, uh, the relative humidity goes up. Uh, it's raining a lot. Uh, perfect climate at that point for a mushroom. A mushroom does not like dry conditions. It will start to grow up and it's like, I can't get any further. It's too dry. <laughs> so so uh, up comes this mushroom because the humidity up and the ground is all nice and moist and everything. Up comes this mushroom and it, it'll take uh, between one and three weeks for this mushroom to mature depending on the temperature. Uh, it'll come up. The, the cap will expand, gills underneath, and the spores come out of those gills. Now we have the completion of this life cycle yeah. of this fungal organism so we have what we call three plant parts we have spore we have mycelium and we have mushroom and plant part is super important when you go to buy a supplement it's supposed to tell you what plant part is there because if you're you're buying ginseng you want the root you don't want you know the the, uh, leaves of the ginseng or something you want the root Uh, just like uh, when you're have an echinacea extract you want the flowers And with the ginkgo, you want the leaf. So that's very important. And that ultimately, when it comes to medicinal mushrooms, is very important because what you want is you want the mushroom. The mushroom is where all of those wonderful compounds are produced. The mushroom is like a biofactory for all of these uh, beneficial uh, compounds So if you're out there, uh, well, I guess we'll talk about, you know, the fact of what's important in this mushroom is what's called a Mm beta-glucan. Beta-glucan makes up the cell wall of the mushroom, and that's going to be what makes the mushroom medicinal. So when you're eating mushrooms, as well as supplement, when you're eating mushrooms, you're going to be consuming these beta-glucans. And what the beta-glucans do is they actually will activate receptor sites, which then will activate the production of immune cells. Hmm. We have these re- receptor sites. So the beta-glucan is absolutely the most important part of a functional mushroom product. So you know, when you're out there looking for a mushroom product, you want it to say, X amount of beta-glucans. You know you know what, what happens at times and what used to be the case? was that people would say, oh, it's got X amount of polysaccharides. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Well, a beta-glucan is a polysaccharide, but so is starch. Uh, Starch is a polysaccharide too. So if someone's saying, oh, I've got this great product, it's like 70% polysaccharide, isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Well, no, it's not. (laughs) It's not at all. It's very deceiving. And, And look, it used to be that there were no standards for supplement products. None at all. Uh, so back in in um, the 90s, when I was first um, bringing in reishi mushroom and extracting it, I had a, a project that I did with the University of British Columbia where we, we created standards for what are called triterpenoids. Mm. And
1: reishi, have you ever tasted
0: reishi mushroom?
1: Yeah, mm. we have, yeah. Okay. Uh, what did <laughs> it taste like? <laughs> I, I, it's kind of bitter, a little bit bitter. It's kind what of like it better a, be, yeah. yeah. It's a little bitter. It's a, like like yeah. dark chocolate, darker or
2: something. one, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and you know what? If if you have like a super concentrated extract, it would be like, oh my god, that tastes like some kind of awful medicine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so reishi is bitter. Those are the triterpenoids. Yep,
1: there you go.
0: And and, and those are those are super good for the liver. Hmm. Uh, at a conference in China in the in the mid 90s, I was at, it was a reishi conference, and there was a traditional Chinese doctor there, and I was talking to him, and I, he's I said, well, so how do you use reishi? He said it's my number one herb for the liver. There you go. And, and and he said, and I, I, well, how much of it would you use? He said, that, well, I can use as much as 30 grams of it. I mean, oh he's gosh. talking about dried mushroom, 30 grams. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what you find out about traditional Chinese medicine is that is that they really want to see something happen. Mm-hmm. So so they don't want to give you, oh, yeah, here's uh, 500 milligrams of this or something, you know. Mm-hmm. No, no, they're like you know, pile on these herbs, you boil them up, you try to choke them down because it's going to be horrible tasting. (laughs) Not just the reishi, but all the other herbs that they've thrown in. (laughs) You know, Anybody who's had, you know, a Chinese medicine doctor and has gone through the whole herbal thing. I mean, oh man, it's just like, ah, (laughs) if I really have to choke this thing down again. (laughs) So, so he said, he said, you know, and I was really like, wow, now that's really cool because reishi is something that in China has been, revered for thousands and thousands of years and and it's got this beautiful ever seen a reishi mushroom not, not a, in the wild not in person,
2: photos
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you ever had one in your hands and held it and went no no well it's got this beautiful kind of ram's horn beautiful spiral shape to it classic shape red Really deep red, beautiful, beautiful mushroom, and you can you see it in Chinese art. You see it in Chinese architecture. They really revered this mushroom, so it's very, very awesome mushroom. When people ask me what's the one mushroom that you would, of all of them, you had a choice to take, I always say, well, reishi is the one, and and I put reishi into my my coffee. Yeah, there so yeah. that bitter note with my black coffee is just kind of another. Yeah, it you blends know, in. Yeah, blends right in. Great. So so. I guess the point here is a couple things. One of which is is the beta glucans are the key to functional mushrooms. That's what makes mushrooms medicinal, and their properties are what potentiate our immune system. And I really love that uh, that word, and I think that's that's what I really like to use. Potentiate, because look, when you're taking a mushroom supplement, you know. Don't take it today and wake up tomorrow and say, Eureka, I feel I'm like I'm a million dollars. That's not how it works. You know, it really isn't. It's not like taking an Aspen and you're like, oh, my headache's gone. No, it's not how it works. You have to be taking it regularly. Um, it's, it's kind of like a vitamin in that sense. You know, you don't take a vitamin and say tomorrow, oh yeah, that vitamin D was amazing. God, it was felt good. No, it's there. It's in the background. You're taking it because, you know, you need it there at a certain level to promote your health. And that's the whole idea here. I look at them as prevention. Mm-hmm. There you go. And, yeah. No, it's, it's just like diet. Diet is all about prevention. Eat Good food, eat right, and you'll be so much healthier than if you're eating from the middle aisles and all of the processed foods. So, so this is really in terms of the the basic benefits of functional mushrooms. It is this immunological uh, potentiation, and the key to that are the beta glucans. If your product has no beta glucans. I'm sorry, it's not a functional mushroom. <laughs> and, and you know, every mushroom has got beta glucans, but the architecture of the beta glucans is just a little bit different in each particular species, which is why there are, let's say, 10 super powerful medicinal mushrooms that we we know and which my company sells. And there's 250 others that scientists have said have some activity. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I get it. But these 10 major mushrooms that are out there, there's been a tremendous amount of research. And that shiitake, maitake, lion's mane, cordyceps, turkey tail, mm-hmm. uh, oyster mushroom, reishi. These, there's a ton of great science to support all of the traditional uses of these different mushrooms.
2: That was going to be my exact question. I'm like, so do all mushrooms have beta-glucans? And like, do they all just work like this? So thank yeah. you for clarifying that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting is is mushrooms are very high in fiber. Mm-hmm. They're, they're mostly carbohydrate, but the carbohydrate is made up of things like beta-glucan and another carbohydrate called manitol. and mannitol is a very slow acting carb it's you know when you hear people talking about the slow food movement and stuff like that it's like yeah sit down take it easy eat food that is going to digest slowly don't wolf it down chew it you know this is what uh high quality carbs will do. It's not like uh, a carb that will basically you go boom, like a potato or something. No. Boom, boom. It crash yeah. No, this is like slow acting. So those are the carbs that are in mushrooms that are so very beneficial, mannitol, beta-glucans, and again, lots of fiber if you're eating
1: mushrooms, which will feed your microbiome. Very interesting. One other piece I wanted to touch on here, and that's just, you know, getting to these, you know, these good count compounds in the mushrooms. And that's the difference between just if you took a, a regular mushroom, say you found one in the wild, like lion's mane or something, or even, even reishi, and then dried it and then you ground it up and you just consumed it. You know, what is the difference between that and say something that's extracted? Isn't there like, you know, doesn't the extraction kind of aid in, in kind of making some of these nutrients and compounds available?
0: Yes, absolutely. So, so you know, you know. Look, one of the things about eating mushrooms is, um, I don't know about you, but I probably should be chewing my food twice as long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. that's what they say, right? Yeah. Because let's face it, when we're eating, we're not sitting there chewing and, and chewing and chewing. And you know, it's it's like uh, if you have something in a powder, for example, the surface area there terms of getting the nutrients out of it is going to be a big help. Mushrooms do have a compound in them called chitin, which binds to the uh, uh, beta-glucans and makes it a little less available. So when you are consuming mushrooms, um, you're going to be getting fewer benefits than, let's say, if you've taken those mushrooms, dried them, ground them to a powder, extracted them, that is going to Process them just enough to break down that chitin, break down the mushroom cell walls a little bit, make those beta-glucans more available. So, yes, indeed, that's that's where, you know, that's where traditional Chinese medicine is like, if some herb is like a, a, a stem of something, you just don't like chew it and think <laughs> yeah. you're going to be getting all the goodies out of it. No, that's why they throw it in and they make a water extract, mm. I mean, boy, when you ever seen pictures of like a traditional Chinese medicine hospital, you go down into the, the, the <laughs> kitchen and they've got a bunch of stoves there and they've got a bunch of pots on them and they're just like on a rolling boil. <laughs> and you're that's just kind of like, oh, my God, that's my medicine. That's, so cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty, I've never seen that. But yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's crazy. Uh, but that's how, you know, they work with that. So uh, hot water extraction is, is a standard for traditional Chinese medicine. And, you know, it works. And and a lot of it is, you know, what they're doing essentially is, is removing everything from the fiber and then leaving the fiber behind. So, so if you're concentrating something uh, and you're taking eight kilos of dried mushrooms and you want one kilo of finished extract, look, you can't put eight kilos into one. Well, you can, but you have to remove the fiber. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're cooking it and you're pulling everything out. And where some of our products, will cook them twice in uh, water, once in alcohol, uh, so that we know all that's left is nothing more than inert fiber. And we've mm-hmm. sucked all the goodies out of it. And now that's in the powdered extract that we're selling. Very cool. So th- that's where that's, and, you know, look, um, you know, it, it's kind of like um, if you're making a soup or something, man. You know, all the goodies come out in the in the liquid, oh, yeah. and 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 it's it's also talk about bioavailable too, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, it's yeah. great. Now, I, I will say this: I'm not a big fan of these little tincture bottles. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, for the uh, one ounce that you get, the price you might pay for that, and The fact that most of it is just alcohol and alcohol water. I'm not a fan of those. I know one or two companies in the U.S. that I'd say, yeah, their tinctures are good. Um, But so much of those tinctures are just watered down herbs that, you know, okay, take half a bottle and maybe you'll get one dose or something like (laughs) that, you know. And, and, you know, and having said that, the people that make the best liquid extracts would be an actual herbalist mm-hmm. that's making her own extracts, um, just selling them to her customers. It's not a big, the minute they start to scale that up, next thing you know, it goes off to a big factory, yep. filling it up with lots of alcohol and water and, you know, cause it's more expensive now yeah. to make it and, yeah. and all of that. So, so yeah, but, uh, all of our extracts are, are powdered extracts and, and that's really, you know, it, it, it has a, shelf life for
1: one, which is great. That's great. Well, while we're kind of talking about traditional Chinese medicine, let's talk about more of, you know, your experience with China and going to China in the nineties and helping to, you know, establish one of the first organic mushroom seminars. And then also kind of your whole role of essentially kind of helping to de- develop a supply chain from China to, uh, to kind of the North America, uh, continent for, you know, high quality organic mushrooms. Let's talk about how that whole thing evolved.
0: Well, y- well, you know, as a, a large-scale commercial cultivator in the 70s uh, on this big farm, I knew the economics of growing mushrooms. I mean, if you know anybody that's a, a small mushroom grower, I assure you they're making about $5 an hour. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, because all mushrooms, are, all mushrooms uh, fresh mushrooms are picked by hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Picked by hand. Yeah. Um, and mushrooms never sleep. <laughs> so, so it's like, oh, hey, man, you want to go out for the weekend or something? Oh, I'm sorry. I got to stay and pick my mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so knowing this, I went to my first mushroom conference in China in 1989. That was the same year I started NAMEX. And for the next 10 years, I traveled all over China. North, south, east, west. It was it was pretty amazing because back then China was just starting to come of age, so to speak, and and there was just a lot of places where where now they were just like tearing it all down and putting up new buildings. But it was pretty rough back then. I still remember taking a a train at one point during that period, like maybe 91, 92, up in some province of China, and it's kind of a second class train and you get in and this kind of bench seats that are just hard seats. You got a table there. And the minute everybody gets on the train, everybody plops out all of the different food that they brought for breakfast okay? <laughs> and everybody starts eating. And what happens is that as they're eating anything like uh, that is uh, a waste product from it, uh, like peanut shells or anything else, they just throw them off onto the floor. <laughs>
2: oh my
1: god.
0: So 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 after the first hour the floor <laughs> in this car was littered with uh, food byproducts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to the point where at a certain point, I think an hour and a half later, somebody came down, one of the people that worked on the train, with a big broom <laughs> and started sweeping the whole thing down, piles and piles of organic oh matter gosh. down to the other end. That was China in the early 90s. Today, I travel around in China on, on brand new trains that go uh, 250 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And it is amazing. It's night and day. But... I I saw so many amazing places. I mean the culture there is thousands of years old. You go to these places and you see things that you that are just out of this world really. And also when you get way back in the mountains, it's like time has stood still. Mm. A lot of people back then were still doing agriculture the same way they'd been doing it for thousands, planting their rice mm-hmm. and growing nice. their veggies. I mean, it was just incredible yeah. to see China at that point and the development that's taken place in the last 30 years. Well, my company became certified organic in 1992. And as I was starting to source more mushrooms from China, because that was the only place you could actually source mushrooms economically enough to sell them as supplements. Mm-hmm. Because basically you grow a, a, a fresh mushroom in the United States, you take it to market, you get $5 a pound, uh, 90% water, you dry it out, which is what supplement is dry. Now you got to get $50 for that same pound of mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. So, so the economics do not work. So I realized that. So I'm setting up And I'm going to farms. I'm going to research stations. I'm going to multiple conferences during that period, really getting to know the lay of the land, seeing mushroom farms all over China, just fantastic. So I've also been able to see the progression of their mushroom farming techniques from the nineties to now. And there's been a real, uh, uh, basic change in making it so much more efficient and clean and all the rest. I mean, it, it is really amazing. But we still grow our mushrooms in a very natural way. We grow them in shade houses with fresh air. They're grown when the climate is right. So, for example, um, we're harvesting reishi in the first week of september because reishi loves those hot summer temperatures it's ready to harvest the first week in september shiitake no no shiitake now is just growing out and it doesn't get harvested until november when the temperature is lower same with maitake lion's mane doesn't get harvested until the end of uh, november and early december because it likes even cooler temperatures so Mm -hmm. we're not growing mushrooms in um, rooms that are completely climate controlled. No, it's fresh air. It's natural light. It's very, very organic and, and natural. And so in 1997, I mean, by that point I went, okay, look, I've got to get my mushrooms grown organically over here, period. (laughs) So, so I uh, um, enlisted OCIA from the United States, uh, and maybe the only organization in China who at that time was dealing in organic foods. And we put together and organized a conference for the very first uh, organic certification or, or workshop for organic certification of mushrooms in China, 1997. Wow. That's so cool. In, in, in three years, we had organically certified mushrooms and look so cool not by chinese certifiers anything nothing against the chinese in that way but look just to give everybody um a comfort we've got european certifiers in that are doing the certification of the products it we test every batch that we grow and the extracts that we uh, take the mushrooms and, and put, make them into, uh, for heavy metals, for pesticides, for a whole microbiological panel before they even leave China. And then once they arrive to our warehouse in the United States, we will do the exact same thing at the labs over here in North America, pesticide panel, heavy metals, um, all of the tests. So the, everything gets tested twice before we actually um, then will release the product for sale. And so we, we probably test more than anybody else. And the other side of our testing is look in, in 2015, I wrote a paper called redefining medicinal mushrooms. At that point, we had no quality control standards, Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: none at all. It was still like uh, the uh, products were like, Oh, polysaccharides and all the rest. I, I, uh, discovered a beta-glucan test. Oh, wow. uh, so we started testing for beta-glucans, uh, which gave us not just the beta-glucans, but also the alpha-glucans, which were the alpha-glucans or starches. So somebody's putting starch into their product or growing mycelium on grain, which is no. a big issue. We can measure that and we know what's going on. I, In my study, I actually purchased 40 products off the internet that were what i call myceliated grain which is mycelium grown on sterile grain <clears throat> products that are being sold as mushroom we analyzed all of those and what we found was that the the uh, beta glucans and alpha glucans alpha glucans being the starches were the exact opposite of what should be in a mushroom
1: product oh my goodness
0: so so in a mushroom product you're looking at 25 <clears throat> to 60% beta glucan mm-hmm and less than 5% of alpha-glucan. In these products, it was 5% beta-glucan and 30 to 60% alpha-glucan, which are the starches. Huh. So, so, so for me, I, I'm just looking at those products and I'm saying, well, it's not really a mushroom product. It's a grain product. Yep. Yeah. You're actually selling grain starch, with some mycelium in it and you're calling it a mushroom product that's crazy and and my study in 2015 changed the industry because for the first time we had tests that any company could use to check the quality of their products i mean not only the beta glucan test but we tested for ergosterol which is the fungal sterol mm-hmm. and also a compound called ergothionine, which is a a high quality antioxidant. So we had this uh, suite of tests that we could run and we run on every single batch of our products. And the beauty of that is when you have standards, when a one of our batches comes in and it does not fit the profile, well, right away, we're like, okay, something's off here. We we send an email off to the manufacturer to say, okay, what happened here? What's going on? Look at the profile. Mm-hmm. And there are times when it'll be like, oh, gee, yeah, we screwed up. And it's like, did you ever? Because we can't sell the product. And, and now guess what? We're not going to release it and we're going to have to dump it. Right. And, and look, the, the the pain of that is that when we... Create a batch of our powdered extract, we produce a thousand kilos at a time. Holy cow. I mean, that's 2,200 pounds. That's a lot. At one batch. So if we're throwing one batch out, That is a lot of product. That's not like just throwing a few bags into a dumpster. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> no, you, you oh actually gosh. have to hire a company to take it away. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's uh, you know, quality is super important for us. And, and again, the standards that we uh, put forth to the industry has changed a lot of things to where now a lot of companies especially our customers, will basically on their products and in their information say, no mycelium, Mm -hmm. no grains, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: no starch. And for your listeners, just so you understand a bit about what I'm talking about with myceliated grain, if you know what tempeh is, that's what they're selling you. They're selling you tempeh. And tempeh is a food product made in Indonesia that is – Cooked soybeans with fungal mycelium on it. So if you're eating tempeh, you're eating mycelium. Pretty cool, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what tempeh is. And that's what they're selling and calling mushroom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's totally like a a farce, but it's pretty incredible that you were able to kind of find your way through this and and develop those tests and really understand the differences because otherwise we may still be buying stuff that, you know, is 60% polysaccharides and thinking, holy shit, you know, this stuff's great. And then in reality, it could just be grain and, and kind of worthless filler, essentially.
0: Absolutely. In fact, I I found that out myself, because I I was going by polysaccharide testing at one point. And I always thought, yeah, the higher, the better. And then I found out later that some companies that I was purchasing from, this was like back in the 90s, were like, no, a lot of it was what's called a carrier, because a lot of Herbal extracts out there are put on to some kind of a carrier. Mm-hmm. A common one is called maltodextrin. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, and you know, a small amount of that is okay, but it's kind of acts as a buffer because some extracts can become very sticky if you don't put them onto something that keeps them from getting sticky and and clumping together and things like that. But some companies were adding so much carrier that it became 50,
1: 60, 70% to the product. Holy cow. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah but, it's totally some, crazy. That's one of those things too that just like a side ingredient at the bottom they don't even tell you how much is even in the bottle or what's in the product.
0: Well, well no, and and, and look, one of the ways there are some companies that will in the other ingredients will will say myceliated rice or myceliated oats, but most companies won't tell you. They'll just uh, and even the companies that say that on the front label, they will say reishi mushroom, maitake mushroom they will sell it with a label that makes you absolutely sure that it's a mushroom product when there's no mushroom in it at all.
1: Yeah, That's crazy. You
0: yeah. know, and that gets back, think about the whole plant part thing. You're supposed to tell people what the plant part is and you're supposed to be honest about it. Yep. And believe it or not, FDA actually has a compliance document from the seventies, which huh? says you not, you cannot call mycelium mushroom huh
1: that Hmm. is interesting yeah it's back to like the apple analogy of like if you're trying to buy like some apple something you're not even getting the apple you're just getting like the ground up wood chips from like
0: absolutely (laughs) yeah and and it's just it's really unethical is what it is yeah that's
2: interesting. that That reminds us a lot. We talk about this about CBD all the time. You know that like CBD snake oil half the time because of the way people are producing the oil. Uh, so that totally makes sense. But thinking from a consumer standpoint and how many products there are out in the market and online, what should you be looking for? Like, is there a handful of things that somebody needs to look for when the, before they purchase?
0: Absolutely. First of all, does it say grown and grown and and grown in the United States? Obviously, that's not going to be a mushroom. So if that mushroom product says grown in the United States, blah, 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 um, sorry, it's this grain product. And and also turn it over. Look at the supplements facts. Does it actually say mycelium there? Look in the other ingredients. Does it say rice or oats or something like that? Those are immediate tells. I was talking to uh, a woman today about it and the products that she had. And she told me her products and I said, geez. Yeah. I hate to tell you one one of those products that's, that's got nothing but oats in it.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs>
0: crazy. It's crazy. You know, you know, I would go to a, um, a, um, trade show in Austin called paleo FX. Hmm. And this is a trade show for paleo people. Yeah. They don't eat uh, grains or anything like that. Right. And they, they see my booth and they come over. Oh man, I love mushrooms. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're saying, Yeah, I'm taking a great mushroom product. Oh yeah, tell me the brand. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Think, by the they way, tell you're- me the brand, and I'm like, I hate to say this, <laughs> yeah. but you're you're consuming mostly grain starch, oh and they're goodness. just like, Oh my god.
2: Yeah,
1: other world crumbles. Oh oh no. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. Well, that's interesting. Well, let's kind of transition a bit because, you know, this is something that is becoming more and more of a thing, you know, and like medicinal mushrooms, functional mushrooms. And I know we're going to touch on, you know, the medicinal mushrooms that I am think everybody's thinking about later. But, you know, as these supplements start to become more of a thing, you know, what, you know, what do you see is going to happen with this? You know, I even see in the culinary aspect of it, we even have a lot of local producers here in Denver that are ramping up the production of just edible mushrooms. And it's just really amazing how, you know, popular culture is really starting to embrace this, even though as we see with you, I mean, it's been around for 60 years. So from your vantage point, you know, what are you seeing? You know, what do you see as the big driver behind that? Is it health? Is it just another awareness of, you know, another form of, of you know, a uh, natural product to consume? You know, where do you see this whole thing going?
0: Well, you know, you know, it's kind of both. It, it is health and people wanting to eat in a healthier way. And, and it's also just the information and the education kind of catching up. So, so, you know, I, I like to think of it kind of as that mushroom I described to you, which is like, you don't even know it's there. And then all of a sudden it reaches a certain size and you go, oh, a mushroom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and that's kind of it. You know, it's the snowball going downhill and then it finally reaches a certain escape velocity, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, so in the last five years, all of a sudden people have taken notice of it. And, and th- this is kind of like, you know, it's kind of like. When you talk about, too, um, all of a sudden you hear a song by some artist and it's like number one and all this. And it's kind of like, where did she come from? It's (laughs) like, oh, yeah, she's been out for 20 years grinding it (laughs) out. That's where she came from, you know. (laughs) And and so this this is kind of like the way it's worked with mushrooms. And part of it, too, look, um, now instead of just one button mushroom in the supermarket, you've got choices of six or seven or eight Mm -hmm. different mushroom species. If you're in the right area, Uh, Denver, for sure. You've got, you know, whole foods and other other outlets there that would have at least that many mushrooms to eat. So people are starting to look in Asia. They're probably got 12 to 20 different, culinary mushrooms Hmm. that that you've got there to choose from. So, so this is part of their culture. We're just catching up right now. So, so where I see it going is the sky's the limit because we're just at the, really the beginning of this. I mean, it's funny because Namex has been primarily selling into the supplement market. That is changing so quickly. Now we're, we're selling into all sorts of food and beverage markets. Interesting. Uh, mushrooms in chocolates, mm-hmm. mushrooms in all sorts of different drinks. I mean, you know, you know how the beverages out there have been like, wow so many cool beverages not all these sodas um so and and it's funny because i we're actually talking to a couple of the larger soda companies that are out there right now (laughs) that want to put uh, lion's mane into their products i can't say which but it's like it's amazing we deal with companies large and some of the biggest uh, corporations in the world right now (laughs) that's awesome but you know putting it in all sorts of different food products. And, and so it's just, there's a lot of innovation going out there. I mean, CBDs, I mean, so many CBD companies that we also will supply. Um, one of them that I can mention actually right now is, uh, are you familiar at all with a company called Cookies?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we just saw the press release yesterday. Yeah, Tell I us more. Heard. We know. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear it. I know. Yeah, they, they even mentioned Namex, which they was fun. Did. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
0: we have yeah they're, they're pretty cool when uh, we, we sort of been working with them for about a year now. Uh, uh, and uh, I even did sort of a, a round table with burner and uh, a couple other people there. And it that was is so, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was very cool. And look, I had no idea who he was or anything <laughs> like that because, you know, I, I do uh, appreciate some hip hop. I haven't really heard his stuff, my, my sons are of <laughs> the age where they came up and listened to hip hop. So I listened to some of it. Some of it I really liked. Some of it came to me just like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> um, so, But, but yeah, it's really cool. So CBD products, cannabis products, like with uh, cookies. So it's just, you know, the sky's the limit on the, the innovations for this and putting things together. And there's just so many um, people out there of your generation that are being very creative. Mm -hmm. And I I love that because we need that creativity, whether it be food or whether, and we need to get away from eating the same old stuff in those center aisles of processed foods or all of those sodas that people are still drinking. You're like,
1: God, are you still buying that stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. I was about to say the sugar, you know, if we can just get rid of sugar for a second, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Look, if I want some sugar, maybe I'll have like 70% cacao chocolate or something. (laughs) That'll be like, okay, now (laughs) we're talking.
1: You feel better when you eat it. But I think that's awesome, really, just because, you know, I was just thinking with the burner thing, it's like, how incredible is that for just us, you know, Lucy and I, to look at that? Because I see you as a superstar, like in the mushroom world, and burner is, you know, a star of his own. And so I think it's just the coolest merger of, mushrooms and cannabis and and different things, you know, and who knows really where this is going to continue taking you. I think just the whole thing really is, is pretty amazing.
0: Well, yeah. And, and look, in the last five years, everything has just gone crazy. So, you know, we've got over 400 different customers at Namex that we sell our raw materials to. And then in 2015, we actually created our our own a retail line called Real Mushrooms, mm-hmm. and and that has really taken off. That was sort of created just at the right time. Now, if you go on Amazon or something, there's a million and one mushroom brands. It's just like, oh my God, where did these all come from, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting. And again, I just feel like we're catching up. Uh, we've got a lot of room to grow here. Mushrooms are going to become, you know, uh, for example. With food, I just call mushrooms the forgotten food, uh, the missing dietary link. Uh, There are studies in Asia where they have demonstrated people who eat mushrooms live longer. Mm.
1: Nice. Who would have thought? Yeah,
0: it's- I know. I know. And, and it's kind of like, that's why I call it the missing dietary link. Yeah. Um, it's got you're eating mushrooms, you're going to be getting beta glucans, they're going to be feeding your microbiome, they're going to be uh, enhancing your immunity. So I, I really see that as yeah, I, I totally believe that.
1: That's pretty incredible. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot on this show, just us learning about mushrooms and me kind of watching some mushrooms grow and stuff. Really, it's just incredible. And I look at mushrooms as, you know, they've been around as long as humans have and even longer, at least longer than, you know, most mammals. And just the, the amount of collective wisdom that that whole kingdom has gained over millions of years, really, I think is still on display today. And I think every time you consume a mushroom in any, um, mode of, you know, consuming a mushroom, I think you're taking part and it's sharing that wisdom it's gained with you. And so not to get all spiritual or anything, but there's definitely some stuff there with it. I can tell you that.
0: Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting too. The fact that, that mushrooms are a food product and yet they have this whole other side where there's mushrooms with these interesting psychoactive compounds. Mm -hmm. And the fact that today prohibition is finally being lifted, and they're able to use these for end-of-life issues, for basic mental health issues, for addiction issues, and ultimately lift the prohibition around recreational use as well. So so it's really a, a very positive times in that way. And it takes places like Denver and Colorado <laughs> and Washington State and places in California and Oregon. Oregon, my God. Yeah, yeah right right now. So, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting time. And so I, I just can't see it as, you know, opening up. I, I mean, look, I never thought they would legalize cannabis. Never ever. <laughs> cannabis is like totally legal across Canada, right? Yeah. Now.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah really.
0: And, and most of my life it's been illegal. And I was telling you earlier, I've had friends spent time in jail yep. for growing or possessing cannabis. And you think
1: what <laughs> really? Jeez, what a change!
2: I know, it's yeah. Such a change of time, and it's so incredible to talk to you because you've been in it since you know before <laughs> yep. the beginning. And look at you now, and it's starting to peak, and more people are becoming aware of it. And it's just so cool to talk to an early pioneer it's like, we, it's like really we jumped, in it.
1: It's like we jumped in a time machine here. Yeah, like it's, it's so fun. I want to pick your brain some more about you know the '60s and stuff. It sounds so fun. Really. Oh uh, um, yeah, yeah. It it
0: absolutely was, and uh, you know during that period too, I actually lived for a. Year and a half in Mexico. Oh wow! And and uh, down there doing field work with the uh, magic mushrooms.
2: Oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> well, I kind of
1: want to ask you because we've been we've asked this a few times, and, and you know you don't have to give us a hard answer on this, but you know how do you see, um, how do you see you know psilocybin mushrooms kind of rolling out in in these different markets? You know, do you see it being a strict you know medicinal type of thing where you're going to have to go to a a producer and have a license and and kind of go through a doctor, or do you see them opening it up kind of recreationally and allowing people to to cultivate at their house and and for their own purposes.
0: Well, you know, I I would say probably use the cannabis model and how that's, you know, starts out for medicinal use and uh, which, you know, I I mean, they they just, I don't think they can just open up the door completely. They, they roll it out slowly and and regulate it and however they're going to regulate it. Uh, Here in Canada, Uh, practitioners can get licenses to use psilocybin mushrooms in their practice in terms of if you're a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist. Um, The mushrooms that you get have to come from a Health Canada licensed producer. So there's definitely regulations around all of this. But you can do it all legally. So if somebody goes, you know, I'd really like to do this, have a session that way. And I think that would help me. You can find a practitioner and then you can arrange it and they can have that type of session in the set and setting necessary to be sort of a clinical type of, of setting. And, and, you know, I, I mean, look, the other thing too is that that people are much more educated today about how to take something like uh, mushroom's, You know, in the '60s, look, we didn't have guides. We didn't have books to read about. Oh, okay, yeah, this is how we do it. You know, (laughs) no, it's like people were just taking them in all sorts of different ways. And and look, in general, it was all pretty positive. I mean, there was some some issues because. You know, look, you don't want to be taking uh, LSD or mushrooms and then go walking down a city street and thinking, oh, isn't this amazing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, yeah, be sure you see the traffic light over there. Stuff like that. Right. I mean, mean, you have to be smart about it. And that gets back to the whole idea of set and setting. Don't take it the night after your father died or, or, you know, take it in and take it in a a place where you're not worried about somebody knocking on your door. Hey dude, what's going on? Or, (laughs) or, you know, or, or, you know, the telephone's ringing constantly and you're like, no, do it someplace where the setting is, you know, laid back and comfortable. Just like, you know, probably if you want to, you know, have a toke or something like that, you sit down in the evening. I mean, a lot of what we did was we just basically, I mean, think of the music, coming out of the 60s oh my god it was incredible so we we would just there'd be new new music we'd just play music all evening long get really high and just enjoy totally and and just have these new experiences so that's really how a lot of it worked and then then there were times where people like to be out in nature and and uh, have nature walks i thought it was so funny because these days you know, I live in a, in a forest. Mm-hmm. I live in an old growth forest. Oh, I have cool. trees here that are 400, 500 years old. Wow. That is so cool. I, I walk out in my forest every day. Now you can actually pay people to take you out to forest bathe. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get it, but <laughs> I do that every <laughs> day. I do that every day. Yeah. <laughs> That's,
1: That's my so daily fun. routine.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, again, knowing how to approach these things um, and doing it right, set and setting is really the key.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree with that. Yes, thank you. Um, Jeff, we have one final question for you. We appreciate you hanging with us this whole time and sharing all this mushroom knowledge. Uh, We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid?
0: (laughs) Well, I guess I would say I'm probably more lucid and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting for me because I must have smoked cannabis, for example, for 20 years straight, almost daily. But but I, I realized uh, after, you know, when you first get into it, you're smoking all the time and always high and all the rest. But then I realized over time, OK, I can I can instead just like do it in the evening after I've done all the other stuff. And I also realized I don't have to smoke a lot. If I have good stuff, one hit, maybe two is all I need. If that doesn't get me where I want, it's not good enough. So <laughs> yeah. you learn those things. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll be smoking like this my whole life. But unfortunately, during that period, I was also a tobacco smoker. Mm-hmm. And, and at a certain point, I realized that I was doing a lot of damage to my lungs. Mm-hmm. So I quit tobacco in the late 90s. And and um, at the same time, I kind of really tapered off my cannabis use to now maybe a couple times a year, or something like that. I sometimes think, you know, you know, because sometimes I'm I'm in my home here and I'll look at the clock and it says 4:20. <laughs> why why is it always 4:20 when I look at it? <laughs> Is it trying to tell me something right. out of my son? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so so at any rate, I, I do it on uh, at special times again, i I don't I've never really liked edibles or anything and and maybe that's just an old habit. Uh, I would rather smoke a joint because it's like, boom, immediate, you're getting off. Yep. Um, but when I do it now, I can still feel that I have done. Uh, long-term damage to my lungs. Yeah. And so it's it's difficult for me to to want to toke up very
1: often um, because of that. So, so and, and, that, and that's cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's totally that's totally fine. Great. That's, you know, honestly, Lucy and I have <laughs> kind of been discovering the same thing. We haven't really even talked about it too much, but half of it's probably just you know, you live in the world of mushrooms and that's almost all of it's all geared around health. And so I think at any point where you're, you know, you're taking your health and putting that first, I think that's a very like respectable thing to do. So understandable, there's other ways to be lit. You know, it sounds like your business is lit right now and you're hanging out with Burner, like that sounds lit. So, you know, there's other ways to be lit. So you're, you're still living a great life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel very uh, fortunate in how things have turned out. I live in a very beautiful spot here, a small community. Uh, I've got fresh air. I've got some of the best water in the world. I have no water shortages. Uh, um, So it's a beautiful environment. And right now my two sons are working for me in my business. And so that in itself is just a very wonderful thing for me.
2: Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for sharing your journey through mushrooms and all about Namex and all of this amazing things you've learned along the way. We really appreciate it. For all of our listeners, check out Namex, but also check out Real Mushrooms. That's where you can find yourself some really high quality mushroom products that you know are legit.
1: They're real mushrooms. <laughs> they <are> real. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You know, I thank you, Jeff. You know, your experience is, is invaluable to us. And really, I think what you did today, just sharing, you know, the basics and, and really kind of this in-depth stuff is really going to help um, continue to shape, uh, you know, the future in the U S and in North America around the world, I think uh, you're doing great work. So we appreciate your whole history and everything.
0: Jared, Lucy, thank you so much for having me on. It's been uh, really great to talk (laughs) to you. I've had a a real enjoyable time. So thanks so much. Absolutely. All
2: right. All right, you guys. Well, with that, I'm lit.
0: Uh, I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters.